deplorable state of donor retention. Hi, I'm Bill Sandrikevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by an absolute Hall of Famer in our field. Jade Love is founder, former CEO, investor in eTapestry, and then Bloomerang. And now Jay continues to identify technology solutions. He invests in them. He provides his wisdom by serving on their boards. And he joins us today on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Jay, an absolute delight to be with you today. Oh, the feeling is mutual, too. Uh, as you know, as a former board member of the Fundraising School, uh, you guys have had a place in my heart for 20 plus years. It's 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 wonderful to be here today. That's right. Jay's an alum of the fundraising school, has taken our courses in the past. Yes, and Jay, I know as you're providing wisdom throughout the philanthropic sector, you've developed this angst around donor retention. What are you seeing? What are your observations on this most important topic? Well, I think the, the easiest way for your audience to realize is that the typical American commercial business, if they cannot retain at least 85 or 90 percent of their customers, Think of your local dry cleaners or the local pizza parlor or any place like that. They can't stay in business. But the average nonprofit in the United States, even from the universities down to the small food banks and, and other uh, smaller nonprofits, their average retention rate is in the low 40s, 43, 44 percent. And this causes most uh, fundraising boards and fundraising uh, offices uh, to be on this constant treadmill of trying to find new donors rather than nurturing and taking care of the existing donors at a higher degree. It's a great point. We get that question just about every time I teach. How do I find new donors? How do I find new donors? And our first They're response always worried is, about that. Yeah. How, how, what are you doing with your current donors? And by the way, if they're repeating since such a small percentage do, it's time to invite them to upgrade their gift. So that's one strategy. But but why do you think this is? Why is the percentage relatively so low? Well, first of all, we've got a large amount of turnover in the fundraising professional ranks. You know, the average tenure is 20, 21 months. So it's hard for them to really get to know the donors too, because they're off to the next gig or they get lured back into the commercial world or something of that nature. Plus, most of the board members they recruit, these are wonderful people from our norm, just normal society and business world and all, but they really have no idea of how to properly nurture the donors to do that. Uh, the only exceptions sometimes are, you know, sometimes in the educational world, some of the major universities with their major gift officers and the private schools and all, they realize how important it is that someone doesn't even become a prospect for a major gift until they've been a donor for five to six to eight years. And they realize that at that point in time, we can start asking for, you know, six and seven and eight figure gifts if they've been with you, particularly if they reach that 10 year mark. And even relative to smaller nonprofits, somebody donating 500 might become a $1,000 donor or a $1,500 $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, or $2,000 donor. And it's even more important for small nonprofits because they don't have the word of mouth that the others have. They don't have the mega special events. So the core part of their constituents, if they take really good care of them, they can do that. Because in the nonprofit world, it's not really the Pareto principle of 80% of the funds coming from 20% of the donors. It's more like 92% of the funds 
come from 8% of the donors. So if a professional fundraiser and a professional board member, if they do nothing else, take really, really good care of that 8% and have multiple touch points with them per quarter and per year and really get to know them, their families, uh, and why they have this affiliation for your mission. So Jay, just did a little quick algebra in my head as you were making that point. If it's that small of a percentage providing that much of the dollars, that would seem to me that the donors who are being retained are the larger dollar donors. Is that analysis correct? Uh, we see that obviously in the fundraising schools giving USA report. But if you look at the actual data coming out of the fundraising effectiveness project, and I urge everybody to take a look at their website also, uh, the latest figures just recently came out from when this podcast is going to be released. And once again, the small donors and the mid-level donors have declined in number and declined in dollars. And even though overall giving is holding pretty steady, it's only due to those larger uh, major gift donors that are uh, making up the difference for that. So uh, there's some lesson to be learned, but just think, what if we went ahead and nurtured the small and mid-sized donors a little bit more? Because that's where the major donors are going to come in five or 10 years. And I'm really worried of what's going to happen as some of the major donors, uh, and you know, for the lack of a better term, are deceased in the future. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, the average major donor is above 65 or 70 years of age. So there's only so many more years that they're going to be able to actively give to your nonprofit. Jay, I'd like to go back to that point about identifying and nurturing our neighbors who are, are in those uh, earlier rungs of the economic ladder, so to speak. They'd be making smaller gifts, maybe smaller, medium-sized gifts. And folks who've listened to this podcast, I bring this up all the time. Are fundraisers asking those folks? Are they inviting those folks? Are they stewarding our neighbors in those economic classes? Or is there such attention to ROI that I'm just going to go get the small number of large gifts that I'm not taking the time to invite everybody across the gift range chart, the donor pyramid, to be part of my nonprofit? What is your assessment? What is your observation in that regard well, as we think, think about the fundraising uh, profession? I think the fundraising profession, uh, you know, it can it can be rather intimidating to say, you know, how can we take an extra step to have an uh you know, better gratitude and better thank you processes for the small donors uh, for that. But if they just break it into sub-segments and realize that a first-time donor that is anywhere at or above your average gift size, if it's their very first time, that should always require a handwritten note and a personalized phone call. And what a better way to bring a brand new board member into the fold is to let them do nothing for their first year or two as a board member, but thank donors. They, they, the, when they do get through and they actually reach somebody or someone returns the call, they're going to find out how special the mission of that nonprofit is. But more importantly, just think about it. If you go to a special event, like you go run in a 5k run or a 5k walk or something like that and you go ahead and you make a $50 gift if someone's kind enough to try to reach out to and leave you a voicemail or even better write you a handwritten note I got to believe Bill that you and I would donate again to that organization and probably at twice the amount because 
we feel like we are deeply appreciated and that our involvement with their mission is only going to do nothing but improve and grow stronger. So one aspect of this in terms of donor retention is let's make sure being fully inclusive, inviting everybody, regardless of their gift size. And that's the understanding of generosity. Generosity is not just the wealthiest. It's people in all gift sizes are seen as generous and welcome to be donating. And then, you know, Jay, you were talking there about stewardship. And yeah, you know, somebody comes to the special event and they make their gift. And I always ask, well, did you put them in your annual fund donor database? Did you stay in touch with them? And the answer is, well, no, they already gave their gift. And you're like, no, we have this relationship with this wonderful, generous right. person now. How do we stay in touch? And it's and people are always asking me, do you mind if I share a personal story here, Bill? Please. Okay. Uh, people are saying, well, we don't have a need for volunteers. You know, all of my commercial businesses here in Indianapolis, we would always reach out and say, hey, we've got 50 volunteers that could come help you sometime in the next six months. Could you have any use for us? And three out of four times, the nonprofit say, well, we wouldn't know what we would do with 50 or 100 volunteers. Well, think about it. We were at a, uh, and I always remember this, I won't give the name, but it was a child care center for underprivileged children. And we were supposed to be spreading mulch and doing landscaping and stuff. It was a beautiful early May day in Indianapolis. And we got there and it was nothing but thunderstorms. The development director, the lady that was there, she did something very special. She went out to the donut shop, got donuts and coffee and invited us all and said, do you mind instead of doing the mulch today, would each of you mind writing 10 thank you notes? So we had 40 people times 10 thank you notes. We did 400 thank you notes in less than two hours. And all we had was the name of the donor. We didn't know the dollar amount, but we knew how many times they had donated. And we wrote a note saying why we were there. And we had had a little presentation about the mission, what we felt about the mission and put a stamp on it and took them all to the mailbox. The lady told us, that the vast majority of those people that got those notes donated again at a higher level. That was a use of 40 volunteers in about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. The unsolicitation solicitation, just by staying in touch with our donors, we're adding more and more content on stewardship to all of our courses. Uh, it is the 14th step of the 14th step fundraising cycle. Asking is not the last step. This ongoing relationship through stewardship can help us with donor retention. Uh, and Jay, I hope, by the way, that, you know, they gathered the volunteers' names, 80%, as you know, the statistic, 80% of volunteers will become donors yes, if we treat them well. They did. And one of the volunteers was a young lady in our office, and she came running around playing a voicemail. She, there at the, they asked us if we'd like to make a donation. She made a $25 donation that day while we were there. And she got a thank you note telling them, thank you for your $25 donation and told her exactly what project it was going to be used for. And she went around the office playing it for people that didn't come out for that volunteer activity. And I thought, oh my God, she's going to be a lifelong donor to that organization. They will never lose her if they played their cards right. And, and it, took, it took less than 30 seconds to leave that voicemail. There are little things that can be done that can keep the small and mid-sized donors from falling off. And honestly, you know, one of the things that we pioneered with Bloomerang was 
making donor retention the first thing that popped up each day so you were aware of it. And we actually had organizations that had 75 and 80% donor retention. And you could just tell it was a fundraising professional that had been there for many years and they knew everything about their donors and they showed appreciation over and over and over and treated them like they were family, which donors are. They're part of your nonprofit's family. All donors are important. All gift sizes are important. And one thing I love about Jay's story was it a $25,000 donor. She was a $25 donor. She received just as much attention with that voicemail uh, and that stewardship call. Um, Jay, you mentioned Bloomerang, you know, really emphasizes uh, donor retention. How else can nonprofits use technology? This is, you, like I said, you're a leader in technology in our sector. Are there ways that nonprofits can use technology to increase donor retention? Very much so. Uh, make sure that you're properly thanking every donor, but then make sure that you've got a game plan, no matter what the size of the donor, but particularly brand new ones, that you've got at least two or three or four touch points in the next 12 months so that you reach out to them and make sure that the majority of them are not another ask. They're just saying, here's, here's our newsletter, here's an event we're having, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and build a communication plan. And then don't forget that there needs to be segments. And even if you're using a spreadsheet and not a commercial database, divide your donors into segments so that you have different messages based upon, you know, I always uh, remember uh, some of the, um, you know, animal humane societies and stuff, they know whether you're a dog lover or a cat lover and their message is tailored in that manner and it increases the response rate just by that. So I think you need to know which projects someone is interested in, uh, how did they get involved? Are you know just the mere fact that they're not just a donor, but as you mentioned, Bill, a donor and a volunteer, point that out. And one of my favorite things uh, that I do, my wife and I support about twenty nonprofits every year, and there's five or six of them that in the thank you letter that I get, they tell us what our lifetime giving total to their mission is. So simple, but yeah. yet so meaningful. That, and they get they give us recognition that you all of a sudden pass the $10,000 level or you pass the $50,000 level in lifetime giving. And you made me feel like a major donor. Very personalized with our donor stewardship. So as we, we take away these uh, main points, let's be inclusive. Let's be asking everybody, regardless of gift size, that broad understanding of the word generosity. Let's find ways to stay in touch with them. And as Jay just emphasized, not always asking them for the next gift, but maintaining communication, maintaining relationship. And along that second point, Jay, you know, we're often asked, well, what about donor fatigue? What about donor fatigue? I kind of wonder if there is donor fatigue. Is it because the nonprofit is asking for the next gift all the time instead of just maintaining this relationship? I think you have that you know, too many ask without, you know, other types of communication, but also sort of impersonal and different types of ask to do that. You know, if I've written a check and let's say, you know, my alma mater is uh, Butler University and yeah. I've supported some aspect of Butler University, you know, acknowledge that in my next ask and say, would you like to support that 
particular department or that particular project again. Uh, so often you're just grouped into it. And we really see that happen sometimes on the giving days, like Giving Tuesday. They, they send the same appeal to everybody and wonder why it's got a pretty low response rate when there is nothing personal about it uh, and nothing personalized about it. So I think that's the other part of it, Bill, is not just the number, but can you personalize it in some manner and give one or two thoughts of thank you and gratitude in between? Ned Love is a leading innovator and entrepreneur in the philanthropic sector, has created tools that are now commonplace uh, for fundraisers like eTapestry and Bloomerang. And he's guiding about a dozen others right now uh, with his investments and his wisdom as a board member. We're so fortunate to have Jay Love on this edition of the first day from the fundraising school. Uh, again, we're talking about how do we acquire donors? How do we maintain relationship with them, steward that relationship? And if they stay at the current dollar amount, great. But we also know the research shows, as Jay has taught us again today, that they're likely to upgrade their gifts over time. And when we start thinking about major gifts and fundraising campaigns and planned giving, this is the way the process works. And this is incorporated in our 24 public courses that are available in person in eight U.S. cities and, of course, online anywhere around the world. We have customized training, quarterly webinars and these free podcasts. All of the information is also gathered in our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, now in its fifth edition. The website, philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakavich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.